The following content is rated R for Rookwood and may contain themes of violence, gore, and death. Listener discretion is advised. This episode, Eustace, ticking away the moments that make up adult day, fritter and waste the hours in an offhand way, kicking around on a piece of ground in your hometown, waiting for someone or something to show you the way. Time by Pink Floyd. Unlike the other solo episodes, we are going to do this one in the present, directly after episode two, and when James or when Henry and Rose hear the howling coming from the bayou, Eustace is still in his room reading his book, and he hears this horrific sound echo through the bayou. He hears Henry's magpies and crows shriek as they explode out of the trees, uh, clearly startled by whatever this noise is. What does well, Eustace do? I think he will start by getting up, stopping reading, of course, and going to his little veranda window, looky, the thing that looks out over the lake. And kind of look out and see if he can see anything from his vantage point. Okay. What you see is Rose and Henry scaling down the latticework from uh, from James's room. And scurrying off across the yard into the bayou at Those breakneck speed. Fools. Uh, I will mutter myself and I'm going to try and hurry to go you know get my things so I can follow after them so they don't you know do anything more foolish than running into the bayou with something howling in it and I think that when you do uh, by the time it gets you you're ready because Eustace is Eustace feels to me like he would be I very mean, fussy I don't even be when spending in a hurry. all day with soggy socks you know correct correct so he goes mm-hmm. by the time he gets done he is already out the back door and you're moving past the the lake in the backyard and the moon is very bright and full and the water is sort of rippling just a little bit and you feel that tug one more time even though it's already happened today this feels an intensity what does use to stop or does his decision to go after his brother and 
sister you know, I think he is more. going to pause for a moment because it's not normal or it has not been normal to have these many episodes or pulls and there's a pause because you know when he has these episodes sometimes he's vulnerable and there's this indecision of do I go out there where it's dangerous and risk being you know vulnerable and he'll steal himself and he'll just steal it he'll take a quick glance back at the lake before he proceeds into the bayou and i think that you in just that moment just that that second that you take to hesitate another howl this one almost a howl of pain catches your ears and you're standing at the edge of the lake because you realize it's pulled you closer and unconsciously you've been walking and you're right on the shore and the bank gives way and Eustace tumbles into the dark water of the lake. Which wouldn't be a problem except for the fact that normally Mm -hmm. the lake isn't that deep. But you fall for a good distance. And you didn't get a good chance to grab a breath. So your chest is already strained as soon as you're completely Mm -hmm. submerged. But you sink. And there's no muddy bottom beneath you. And you sink some more. And the light from the moon begins to dim. And it gets darker. And you swim trying to fight upwards. But it doesn't so hard to tell what direction you're fighting towards. But eventually, this darkness sort of closes around you. And you open your eyes to a street. Cobblestones, not the brick that you're used to. Um, there's loud noises coming from an inn, a bar, Right next to you, you can hear through the door and through the windows people laughing and cutting up, music playing. But there's a sense that this is not the New Orleans that you are used to. It feels mm-hmm. newer. What is used to do? I'm going to take stock for a moment. When he has his visions, typically he's an observer, right? So it's like he's watching the world go by and he's going to pat himself because he just dove into a lake. Is he, you know, does he have lake bits on him? Is there... He's, he's perfectly dry. Yeah. As dry as you uh, normally is. mutter something about, is this how I die? Is this the afterworld? Oh, I don't know. I gotta. F- Let's see what's going on. And he will make his way towards the sound of people, fully expecting no one to acknowledge his presence. So he's not trying to hide himself, he's not trying to move quietly. Um, he's just kind of walking briskly. 
All right. So you open the door into this tavern, and there are people there. They they all stop for a second and turn to acknowledge that you are indeed a person coming in the door, and then they go back to whatever they're doing, gambling, uh, talking to the barmaid, may talking to each other, drinking. It it seems to be a pretty lively crowd. There's a couple musicians in the corner playing on what looks like fiddles and other other instruments of the time and you notice that there's a very distinct um, clothing mm. style to these to these people it looks what you would consider old-fashioned and especially very French it doesn't have like the the more English uh, attributes that have been brought to New Orleans in in the past hundred years or so, these are very and and also more distinctly American. These are are very French outfits, and the the voices in your coming to you are speaking mostly in French. I imagine to snow so. French. He's you know the scion of a wealthy family who okay. has done a bit of travel, so he's probably not proficient but he knows enough to ask where the bathroom is and you know make slight conversation mm -hmm. yeah so yeah you catch here words here and there um but it's a pretty pretty busy tavern um everybody seems well in tune to well having fun there's you know, uh, he'll, he'll, he's not going to stand at the door because he doesn't want to draw too much attention to himself now that he knows this is not like other visions. Uh, he's going to pat his pockets. I don't know that he would necessarily have a billfold or a lot of running money with him. Um so I don't know if he would go up to the bar, you know, sit down and order something. Um, and, and this is you know, this is a failing of, of me for not knowing the history. Did folks tend to travel with some money on them at that time? I imagine there was there was some sort of money. You had to be able mm -hmm. to pay where you stayed. Well, I mean, I um, mean, for when Eustace was growing up. Did they like say, "Oh, put it on the Rookwood ta uh, tab," or? Mm -hmm. Oh, for for the Rookwoods, definitely. If you were going somewhere, then they for sure would. Um. They they would sh for sure you know it would be like oh this is charged to the Rookwoods the okay. Rookwoods have paid to be here. Then Eustace um, probably wouldn't know, um, to check his pockets and would probably just go straight up to the bar, sit down, and ask for. Uh, nothing too strong. He's, you know, something's going on. You know, probably a nice warm tea. Okay. The you, you order your you order your drink, and the man behind the bar kind of squints at you for a second, and then he says in very very cautious English you can hear a very thick accent a French accent and he says yes monsieur we will and nothing stronger today not at the moment my good man 
And he moves off. He doesn't take payment yet, but he moves off to get you uh, your drink. And the person next to you at the bar turns to you and says, That is a very interesting accent that you have. And he's also speaking English. um, Very heavily French accented. I apologize. I'm not as good at a French accent as I should be. Um, He... And when you turn to look at him, Eustace, this is a face that you have seen every day of your life as you pass by the family room. It is the face of the most prominent portrait in the entire household. Um, It is Henri Rookwood, the very progenitor of the Rookwood estate. And lineage. Huh. And he's young. He's probably in his early 20s. Huh. <laughs> so I imagine there's an element of a double take, but we'll try and not to, you know, show it and respond something to the effect of, uh, well, uh, Thank you, I I guess. Um, What is your name, friend? He holds out a hand to you and he says, My name is Henri Laroque, and you? I am a a pleasure to make your acquaintance, Mr. Laroque. You may call me Eustace. And out of character, I don't know that we had established... Mm-hmm. Eustace's father's surname because he we have not if you would like to just make it up right now you let's more do than that to. and we're going to say Eustace Porter ah he says so you are English Mr. among Porter. others uh, my f- family has done but- a bit of travel you see Very well. I myself have done some traveling lately. I have come all the way from the motherland, France herself, to this new world to seek my fortune. Is it the same uh, with you? I, you could say so. Uh, I admit I came here more as a boy. <laughs> my parents sought fame and fortune and all that goes with it, and... Have yet to find it, sadly. He uh, holds up his holds up his cup, tips it to you, drains it, sets it down, um, calls to the bartender for another one, and uh, he says, "Then we are in the same boat, as they say, Monsieur Porter. I am also still seeking my fortune, and alas, the." The nature of this new world has eluded me so far. I have heard nothing of opportunities, and yet here I am, drinking with some of my last uh, coin. And he slides two coins on the table, and uh, he says, Mr. Porter's drink is on me tonight. Very generous, Mr. LaRue. Tell me, what have you been, ex- what have you been trying Maybe we could 
help each other out in this search for uh, riches. I am uh, Eustace is not wanting to say anything too weird, but this he, he is very uncomfortable, <laughs> and so he's kind of being very. Um, yeah, I need to stick with him because clearly whatever my vision is supposed to be uh if the progenitor of our family is involved i need to be seeing what he's doing absolutely and this is not quite the man you know about from Mm -hmm. the family stories the 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 henri rookwood that you knew was sort of dashing and clever and um, very successful. And though this man is very gregarious, which is exactly what you were told that Henri Rookwood is, he is not dressed in fineries. He looks like he has had a fairly rough time um, since coming to the New World. And he nods to you and says... Yes, yes, you are. You are right. I have tried many things. I have tried doing shipping, and I have tried doing general sales work, and I have tried even once being a politician, and none of these things suited me. So here I am, and here you are, and we are in this tavern, and we will drink our last couple coins and find opportunity that tomorrow, sounds, no? That sounds great. That truly does. You know, and I will wait. I, well, the, the I know will come after the drinks come. Um, where are you staying, Mr. Leroux? He says, oh, well, I have this... Um, boarding house just down the street um a wonderful madam has uh let me pay ahead of time which is very very nice of her um because it's getting near to the end of that but um it is within walking distance which is very very important when a man wishes to get very drunk you know it strikes me that there are a lot of people in here tonight. Eustace is looking around at the crowds. Much demand for drink, it seems. He uh, he looks around and he says, Oh, yes, indeed. Um, it is the right night for it, everyone. Tomorrow is the day of the Lord and everyone else is taking advantage of not having to work in the morning. Hmm. He, he looks around and he laughs and he says, I am sure many of us will make it to the late service. Oh, of course, of course. <clears throat> Where? What did you say the name of the establishment was that you were staying at? Okay. He gives you a name. Um, it's not nowhere you've heard of, but 
Um, it definitely does not exist in the moment of time where you come from. Um, and then he, he kind of stops a little bit, and you can tell it is that point in the night to which the alcohol turns to um, from mm-hmm. joy to morose. Um, and he ha- he heaves a heavy sigh, and he says, All that I wish, all I have ever wished, is that I would have enough to have a family, to support a family, to create a legacy in my own name. I wish for Henri Leroux to be spoken about for ages. And for my children to carry on that legacy. To make our family something grand and important. And this land is supposed to be the land that does that for me. This land is supposed to be the one that turns everything to gold. And yet, five years I have been here and I have nothing to show for it. Oh. Perhaps, perhaps it is time I take myself back to France. Oh, try not to be so hard on yourself, Henri. This world is, this new world is harsh. But I have a strong feeling that your family will become legendary. There's something about it. I don't know what. How about a nice walk in the night air to clear our heads, yes? He nods and he says, yes, yes, very well. I I should probably move to a different locale anyway. He looks down at his drink sighs, pours the drink back, and he says, Come, Monsieur Porter, we shall find a new place to finish the night. And uh, he gets up and sort of, as you notice, a, a mm-hmm. decent stumble to his walk um, as he heads towards the door. I will follow him out, and my mind is racing. I desperately want him to stay in town and to convince him to stay in town. I don't know. This is all new. I don't know if there's like a paradox thing. I don't know if I have a concept of a paradox, but I do not want to accidentally (laughs) unmake myself by having him return home. Right. So I'm going to lead him towards the family estate because that's the path I know even with the buildings changing I can probably tell by the basic geography the way there there's a part of Mm -hmm. me that really hopes the house is there and that this is just a weird blend of my vision and the time I know and if I go there and I see it maybe I can come back to it and leave this strange place um but that's kind of the hope that Eustace is hanging his hat on at the moment. Right. 
And, yeah, you lead him towards, and he, you know, occasionally will um, mutter something to you. And at one point he looks up at you, and he says something that you have heard over and over again. Almost the family motto at this point. He, uh, he puts his arm on your, around your shoulder, and he says, Monsieur Porto, you know, the worst thing a person can be is nobody. We are meant for greater things. You, me, this entire town, this entire new world, meant for greater things. And to be here at the bottom means that we only have to find the opportunities to climb up to the top. Um, and about that time, he stops and he looks around and he goes, I, I do not... Do you know where we are? Uh, do I know where we are? Um, did we... You look around and you notice that the sky here is very weird. That the light here is strange. The night sky has a, a purplish, almost like pink hue around the edges. Um, and it's... It is very... things. Details of things feel a little bit on the the fuzzy side like if you don't directly focus on a building it's almost like it doesn't coalesce into existence until you directly look at it Hmm. um but there is another building down the road and there is lots of noise and people you can hear the sounds of people and Henri says Monsieur Porter, I think maybe I need to sit down a little bit before we go any further. My head is a little fuzzy, and I do not know where we are, and uh, perhaps one more drink is enough to get me back to where I need to be. He says, come on, let's let's go to this place and find out exactly where we are. Absolutely, I will follow. And he sort of half pulls you, I think, in that direction. Um, When you get to this building, once again, it doesn't quite come into focus until you really genuinely look at it. And um, Henri doesn't even stop. He flings the door open. And there are people in this bar. But Eustace has this sense that something is unusual about these people they they don't quite look the same when he focuses on them as when he does not when he directly looks at them they look like people normal people everyday people and yet when he takes his eye off of them when he looks at them from periphery periphery they're they're different somehow strange um, it, it creates this sort of like prickling on your skin to to not directly focus on them. I will cautiously, I, I will go in with him, but I will, if there is a place that is like a corner seat, I will prefer to take mm-hmm. one of those and I will just keep my eyes out and try and remember any lessons that I may have overheard or when they were trying to get me to do field work um, about 
is this a sign of danger? Do I need to be prepared to fight? You know that there are certain creatures that can affect the world around you. Um, but they would have to be immensely powerful to affect this much. Um, and I imagine that Eustace wouldn't know what to do against something that powerful. I imagine most people in his family probably wouldn't at this point know what to do against something that could literally change the world around them. But as you're thinking about this, and as uh, Henri is sitting at the table massaging his temples, um, this man comes over. And he's dressed in a, in a big, great cloak. The collar is pulled up. He has a, a wide-brimmed top hat that is pulled so that you can't quite see the details of his face. And he grabs a chair, puts the chair down by the table, and sits in front of you and looks directly at Henri Rookwood. He, Laroque, he doesn't look at you at all. And he says, oh, Monsieur Laroque, we have been waiting for you for so long. It is wonderful, wonderful that you are here. And he turns to you and he looks at you and he says, hmm. And Mr. Porter, is it Mr. Porter? Is that the name you choose to go by on this evening? I must confess, you have me at a disadvantage. You are here saying our names, but we have not received yours. What should we call you, friend? He he grins, and under his hat you see the very large, almost Cheshire Cat-like grin with rows of straight white teeth. And he says, oh, that is easy. He says, I am the Lord Rookwood. And... Tonight is a very, very special occasion because I'm about to offer Mr. LaRoque everything he desires. Uh-huh. Everything you say. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that is indeed what the contract will say. <clears throat> I do not know what to say here so Eustace will stay will do what he he learned <laughs> early on which is be quiet and watch and the man will nod approvingly at that and he will turn to Henri Laroque and he will say ah Monsieur Laroque let me get you something to drink my friend and he raises a hand to the bartender and the bartender brings over a drink and Henri goes to grab it and the man puts his hand on top of the drink and he says, but business first. You are a man seeking his fortune, no? And Henri says, well, yes, yes, isn't any man? And the, uh, the Lord Rookwood will nod and he will say, Absolutely, sir. Absolutely. In fact, that is what this new land, this new world is all about, right? Seeking experiences and opportunities. And I have an opportunity for you. And you see Henri's eyes 
light up and says, oh, well, go on. And the man stops for one second. He turns to look at Eustace with a grin on his face. And he says, Eustace, I will see you in 150 years when the contract is up. You've got some big decisions ahead of you. And he reaches up, touches your forehead, and pushes. And suddenly you are back up in the lake, sitting down in the mud, sputtering in a warm spring night. I look around. I, I look at the sky. Has has time passed? It's been a little while. You, you're pretty sure the moon is definitely not in the same position it was, giving you the idea that it's probably been a couple hours. Oh, no. I... I He, he he does a paw he, he's doing this sort of thing that I'm doing right now which is processing what happened processing where he is processing what he was trying to do before and the dilemma that comes to Eustace is it has now been several hours with whatever was howling with his family in the bayou he's not good at hunting he's not a fighter there is no point in him trying to, you know, risk his life anymore going out there. And he need there's a compulsion to try and commit to paint to canvas the figure he saw, this entity that called itself the Lord mm-hmm. Rookwood. And at the same time, there's this burning part of him that is screaming coward because he's not going after his family. And after wrestling with that for just a minute, because time is important, he will mutter that, then I am a coward, and return to the house to commit this figure to canvas. Mm 